Hello and welcome to the Joe Rest Podcast, episode 21, recorded on the evening of the 11th of August 2016. I'm Joe and with me for the first time is Jesse. Hello Joe, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. So first of all, explain why I've known you for two years now, almost exactly, I think a little bit more than, and I've been podcasting with you on Luddites for all this time and yet you've never come on this show, why not? Uh, the first few were definitely solo acts, weren't they? And then when there was sort of a few odd people here and there, maybe I just didn't feel there was quite a, a topic that I could really bring to the table and, and talk about in this sort of, you know, more sort of casual environment. And then obviously you had the the permanent, uh, your permanent guest, um, Isaac, of course. There we go. Remembered it eventually. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I enjoy listening to you, too. It's good banter. So why would I get in the middle of that when I when I enjoy listening to it? Yeah. I, I had a good time listening to, uh, to Luddites, and then I joined it, so I couldn't listen to it anymore. So that sort of came off my radar. So I didn't want to do that to a second podcast. Fair enough. Okay, well, I'll accept that. So it's been a very long time. It's been since April, I think. Uh, that was episode 20, and the one before that was when I was in Sicily in January. So this is the third Jores of the year, and it's already August. So that's not very good, is it? Um, but the reason that I wanted to do it was, well, the, the whole reason that I started this podcast was for me to have something to listen to in the future, to kind of document my life in a way. And that has actually worked out quite well because I there was something about Og Camp last year that I wanted to remember. So I listened back to whatever episode of the Jores podcast that was, and it was really good to actually jog my memories of it. And um, so that's why I wanted to do this one, because two things have happened recently, two fairly significant things, the end of the Pi podcast and also Foss Talk Live. Yeah, so what you're saying is that you've had nothing to talk about, then suddenly two things have come along at once. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, there, there has been stuff going on, but it's mostly been really boring work stuff and, and whatnot. Um, and I've just been too busy. This weekend coming is going to be the first weekend that I've not had a podcast to do for over two years, I think. Or no, over a year, at least, anyway. So does that sort of set the scene? Because I, I feel, should we do the Pie podcast first and then, then end on the high of, of Foss Talk? Yeah, yeah. So that must set the scene of where the the beginning of the end of the pie podcast comes from so from your point of view you were doing our show luddites and you're doing uh, every now and then on mintcast but not so much recently plus getting prepared and everything for for the pie podcast it was just a case of too much on you alone or was it also too much on the other guys as well well i don't know for me i was reasonably happy i was kind of into the routine of it and i wasn't making that much effort really for the pie podcast is the bottom line because I left it up to the other two to book the guests and to do the news stories and stuff. So for me, it was just basically, it was one of the easiest podcasts I've ever done. I would just read the news on the Sunday sort of afternoon and then record on the Sunday evening. And it's so easy to edit because um, I suppose because Albert doesn't have, um, this is really hard to explain to people who I don't do podcasts with like you, but we do a lot of editing, whereas Albert just plows on. Like If he fluffs some words, he just plows on. He doesn't stop and go back and make me edit it. And so we had a, a almost live feel about the podcast, and that made it very easy to edit. And it was only half an hour long, plus the interviews we did two weeks in advance. So I would have uh, – usually I'd do – on the Saturday, I'd edit the previous time's 
um, interview. And so I would only have like 10 or 15 minutes worth of show to edit and then chop it together, mix it, push it out. And so it was relatively easy to do. But I think therein lies the problem. I didn't make enough effort, basically. All right. Well, let me backtrack because I've read your the show the notes on the website about you know unfortunately we've had to end da da, da commitments and all these sorts of things. So I had leapt to the conclusion that it was a case of commitments on your part because I know how much I do for our show, let alone the amount that you do for all the editing and everything and all the prep. So you know I know that our show is a lot of effort, and if you double that for the Pi Podcast, that would be a lot to do but if you're saying that it wasn't such you know it's not so onerous not such a big demand on your time then perhaps i should just step back and ask the question of what was the reason that the pie podcast came to an end well it was basically because well it was uh, many many reasons the the main one and the official one is that we didn't have time to uh, produce a, a quality show and so that was really albert and isaac who didn't have the time to do it because well, I'm, and also, I didn't have the time to spend more time or the energy to put more into it. You're saying you're saying to put more into it to bring it up, like to, to sort of you know um, get the increase the listener base and, and sort of increase its profile and things. Exactly, yeah. And so, because the thing is that we had a fairly quick rise in the terms of the number of downloads, and then it leveled off for several months, and we talked about various ways to increase the numbers and make it more successful and popular. But every single one of those ideas involved a lot more time and effort from from everyone involved. And we just didn't have that time and effort to put more into it. And so the, we could have just coasted along or we could stop doing it. And I thought, well let's stop doing it then basically because that that's not the only reason basically i didn't talk about it on the show i haven't really talked about it publicly but the the other reason is because nobody in the raspberry pi community as far as i can see cares about free software and open source and i had incorrectly assumed going into it that people would care about that stuff and it was over the year of doing the show it was a real big wake-up call so when you say the people involved, you mean just the Raspberry Pi Foundation or all the guys who, inter- not all necessarily, but the majority of the people you interviewed and talked to at Raspberry Jams and stuff like this? Well, in terms of, well, the Raspberry Pi Foundation, let's get that out of the way. We went up there and we met them and it was very clear to me what their goals are. Their goals are to get as many of these pies sold as possible so they can make money to plow that back into education. So that is, I mean, that's not a financially... Financial isn't the end goal. It is, you know, there is some holistic uh, sort of benefit to to society, if you want to say, but they are doing it for the right reasons, the right causes. It's just not the FOSS kind of ecosystem is their cause. Exactly, yeah. They, They care about education and more recently physical computing, you know, makers, that kind of thing. Um, And they don't, FOSS is just not on the agenda and that's fair enough. I mean, it's, it's not like the, it's not necessarily a a huge criticism of them. It's just a realization that I came to because going up to the offices in Cambridge, the, it was a really relaxed, cool atmosphere. There was not a tie in sight. It was just a really nice workplace by the looks of things, but looking around there, I think there were two Linux machines and everything else was windows. And I, I asked Eben, 
about that, you know, why, how come there's not more Linux? He said, well, we're not a dog food company. And, you know, for people who don't know what that means, and I have told some people that, and they've said, what does that mean? But um, eating your own dog food, you know, they their product primarily runs Raspbian, which is based on Debian, which is Linux, and yet very few people in the office run that operating system on a daily basis. Um, and even the developer of Raspbian, uh, we were introduced to him, and he had two screens in front of him, one that was Raspbian, so presumably had a Pi plugged into it, and the other one was OS X, so he was running a Mac to do his actual development on. And that was like a real shock to me. I thought, well, how can you develop a Linux operating system if you're not even using Linux as your daily driver, your, your main operating system? But I suppose that is just the reality of the world. Not many people are into actually using Linux. It you know, it's easy when you're like right in the the core of the people who are at least talking about it, podcasting about it, to think that everyone's using Linux. But the reality is that people don't. I mean, look what you go to work and no one's even heard of it. Yeah, if I say that I do a podcast about, you know, whether I say technology, if I'm being very broad, uh, if I'm trying to chat them up, or then you bring it down to computing, and then at the very end you say Linux with that sort of, do you know what I'm talking about? You know, OSs, Windows, Mac OS, you know, you, and you fully accept that the person you're talking to, no matter what background they've got, it is more than likely not going to know what Linux is. And, yeah. and so, yeah, so I, I agree. You and I and a lot of the people that we sort of um, talk to, you know, social media and things like this, are in this Linuxy bubble, but a lot of people just don't know, don't even know about it, let alone think of it as an option or, or decide whether it's what they prefer or, or don't prefer. Yeah, and at the foundation, I mean, it's, it's not a typical office because, you know, I talked about how the, they don't have a dress code and that sort of thing, and it's very relaxed. And you do have the option, you can run whatever you want, and their IT department supports all three. So it, it's not typical but it, in that sense, but it is typical insofar as almost all of them run Windows. Um, so, you know, that, that was a big eye-opener to me. But it, I had already been getting a sense of this from going to the jams and seeing that people were running Linux on the Pi but then always the laptop next to it was running Windows. And it, I remember when the Pi first came out, a lot of people were saying that it's really good news because it's going to introduce people to Linux and then they're going to you know, convert to it. But the reality is that almost none of them have. Some people have, and I've spoken to them about it, and it's really good that that's happened. But most people have just stuck with Windows. Do you have any kind of a feel as to whether or not they think that the operating system that is on their Pi is just for their Pi and have no real conception of the fact that it could run on their PC or laptop at home as well? I don't think that that is fair to say that they, they can't even conceive that it would, but I think that uh, they can't conceive that they would want to do it, if you know what I mean, because the Pi to them is this separate hobby thing you know it's it's linux is like a tool to get stuff done on the pi and it's it, i suppose it's because raspbian looks like something from the 90s it you know it looks like an amiga basically almost yeah yeah um and so it's like it's this separate thing that it's just a, a different it's like say android 
technically you can run that on a laptop and we've talked about it on lot you know android x86 but you basically wouldn't want to you know we've tried it out and none of us have stuck around with it because it's just a bit ridiculous really and whereas on the phone it makes a lot of sense and so to these people linux makes sense on the pi but it doesn't make sense anywhere else yeah i was just thinking maybe if when i turn like the ps4 on I assume that that is the PlayStation 4 interface. And if someone said to me, oh, you know you could run that on your phone, or you know you could run that on you know, your computer or what have you, I'd be like, oh, can you? Why would I want to? I, I didn't even know you could. But at least it sounds like they understand that you could choose this operating system. It's just very unfortunate that the accessibility of the Pi means that it has to be low-powered, and therefore it has to have a very functional, let's say, interface. And that doesn't really show Linux in its in its best light does it well i mean that's not really that fair i mean yeah it's it's running lxde which is very lightweight and it doesn't have a lot of features but that's not to say you couldn't skin it to make it look nice if you look at um rock os which is um, a cryptocurrency based os for the pi uh, not for mining but for you know wallets and and that kind of thing and um that is based on Raspbian. It's got LXDE, but it's themed beautifully. It's got the new mix icons, which I know are sort of controversial to some people, like yeah, Paddy. A bit Marmite, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually quite like them. Um, and it's got modern-looking colors, and it looks like a really cool OS. And, you know, that is just a theme for LXDE. There's no reason why Raspbian couldn't have that, um, you know, not that necessarily, but a modern-looking interface. All right, all right, maybe, well, the theme... Agreed, they could improve that, but you still wouldn't get around the fact that you are waiting every time you do anything. And I forget this often that I wear SSH into the Pi and run commands that I know take no time at all to run normally. I'm like, well, what, what am I waiting for? Is this the network? Oh, no, it's just crunching through on the Pi because it's that much slower. So while it does look a bit rubbish and you could make it that better, you that there are there's no way of getting around the fact that it's low-powered hardware and therefore it maybe doesn't represent to the people en masse uh, how good it is. However, I mean, you know, dragging it sort of backwards a little bit, I, I do think there's the potential. I mean, on one of the more recent Linux Voices, possibly the last one, they talked about um, how did you get into Linux? And they sort of asked each other, and obviously it was one of those, um, those the very end of the show where they get the, the feedback from everyone. And a lot of people said, oh, I got the cover discs off of this thing for Red Hat, or I, you know, got Mandrake or every Mandrake, Mandriva, one of those two. And and I think they, they made the point that in 10 years' time, you might get a lot of people now saying, I used a Raspberry Pi. And while we not may not have met them now, you know, we've, we've only seen a small populace of the Raspberry Pi community, maybe in 10 years' time, there'll be a lot more people with that stock answer of, well, I tried it on the Raspberry Pi, found out it was all free, and 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 moved over to it potentially. I can't help but feel that's wishful thinking. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm glass half empty, aren't I? Okay, so I mean, one one of the reasons you said was the fact that the Raspberry Pi Foundation and the people who use Raspberry Pis as a very broad brush are not interested in in FOSS and the open software and and the freedoms that that entails. Um, were there any other sort of reasons that that you decided that the Raspberry Pi, sorry, the Pi podcast wasn't going to continue? Well, not really. I mean, you know, all the guests that we interviewed, bar about mm, two or three maybe, were using Windows or a Mac. 
And so, yeah, I mean, it, it was just basically that, that I, my heart wasn't in it really. I felt that, well, well, also I originally got into it wanting to get more into the GPIO stuff, the physical computing, the, uh, the maker side of things. And the bottom line is that I just didn't do that. And I think it's just because I don't have enough interest in it, basically. I never even bought a, a camera module or anything like that. And uh, yeah, so I didn't have that interest in it. The FOSS aspect of it wasn't there. And we focused probably too heavily on education. And the education side of things, I'm not really interested in that unless the FOSS thing is being push you know the FOSS agenda is being pushed on kids and they're learning about open source where whereas they're just not and um you know I tried to ask the teachers about that and and stuff but it just it didn't seem to be high on anyone else's priority list apart from my own and so my heart wasn't massively in it it wasn't a huge success in terms of numbers and would have required a lot more effort to do so Isaac was getting really, really busy and it wasn't even on the last show because of um, some personal stuff. Um, well, I think I can say actually, because he did say on Mintcast that um, his dad had been ill for a while and died basically. So he had to go back home to deal with that, which was just obviously a nightmare for him. Um, but he'd, he'd also changed jobs in the, in the year that we'd done it and got really busy. And Albert also, his work just keeps getting busier and busier, it seems, um, as he kind of, I don't know, uh, rises the corporate ladder, I suppose you might say. And so he didn't really have time to do it. And we could have got other people on board and I could have restructured it all because it was a, you know, a reasonable success. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like this show where, you know, a handful of people download it. It was doing reasonably well, but it just wasn't doing well enough for me to, to, you know, well, also the positivity thing, because Albert is such a relentlessly positive person that was the tone of the show basically and i felt like a bit of a fraud really having to always put a positive spin on things and well feeling like i should really and um yeah i just i couldn't be doing with it anymore really so i mean had everything stayed the same but the numbers have been creeping up would things be different because it's funny when you started it i did think oh that is going to be a clear winner. There's no one else doing Raspberry Pi podcasts. You know, you know how to make good sounding podcasts. Everyone compliments you, us on the the audio quality. And so there'd be no reason for it not to be a success, given how big the the sort of groundswell of interest is in Raspberry Pis. I thought it was a, a clear winner, but it's, I'm surprised therefore that it plateaued. But, so I wonder if, if had it kept on going, you'd have sort of, stuck around a bit longer, you know, had it kept on, sorry, the numbers kept on rising, would you have stuck around a bit longer? I think so, to be honest, yeah, because I, I had high hopes for it. When I first started it, I had hopes that it was going to be a massive winner and that we'd have adverts on there and we'd be making some money to, you know, supplement our incomes, basically, and have money to buy stuff related to the pie and, and you know, general tech spending and, you know, I, I had dreams, wild dreams of, you know, maybe being able to take one day off a week or something to to do that and have that sort of pay for one day rather than going to work. But, you know, when it plateaued the in terms of the download numbers, that just, you know, then it was like, well, how are we going to fix it? And it dawned on us that the only way to fix it would be to make a lot more effort, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's that. I mean, I, I have no hard feelings to anyone involved with it. And, you know, 
this thing about no one in the community cares about FOSS, even the the foundation. Well, I don't expect them to. And I, I learned that their priorities lie elsewhere. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm still on good terms with Albert and Isaac, you know, still on good terms with the foundation and everyone we interviewed. And it was just time to move on, basically. Um, so there we go. It's now freed up time and I've got all these ideas for projects and I just need to uh, actually get one of them going. All right, we'll hear about that either on a podcast or the next Joe Rez or whatever. But uh, I guess that means we segue smoothly into the the most recent success you we've had. Yeah, we. Yeah, I like how people are <laughs> saying, "Oh, yeah, the team was such a good job," and people thanking you and me. And it's like, well, you did come to the venue with me. What? Well, you did come and scout venues with me in the first place, which was very much appreciated. You mean and we went? We went on a pub crawl and looked downstairs in some pubs. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. no, that was hard work, man. It's hard well, work. Well, this one, I'm trying to make it sound less like I did anything, which I think is fair. So yeah, I, Joe said, let's go and look at these venues, which are quite close together. Went to two that evening and maybe another uh, another pub somewhere. And then uh, I turned up on the day and moved some chairs about and uh, did a show and then got drunk. So I have to say, we is not very fair. I, I only put we in as, because I was one of the performers artists however you want to call it you know on the stage but yeah, yeah fair, fair point credit where credit's due all of the the major prep and the contacting people and finding the venues as options and then obviously our show editing and everything afterwards was all done by you so uh and and the the number of mics and stuff you produced and all that sort of, you know absolutely brilliant so um do, do we just sort of uh run through what Foz talk is for anyone who, who doesn't know yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, um, it's uh, it was a free evening of Linux of live Linux podcasts. I think that's how I sold it. And so it was Linux Luddites, Ubuntu podcast, Linux Voice, and then what we called the Drunken Mashup, which was me, Stuart Langridge, and Dave Mega Slippers, who is from Geek News Radio, the thing that Fab from Linux Outlaws is now doing. Um, and so yeah, four live shows with half an hour in between for people to socialize in a tiny little basement venue in a pub in King's Cross in London on a Saturday evening. And so, yeah, it's quite a simple sounding thing, but it there was a lot that went into it. Okay. So let's, you've touched on venue there. Use the word tiny. This was difficult to find somewhere that was free because you never know if anyone or no one's going to turn up. How did you feel the size of the venue kind of, you know, worked? Well, before we did it, I was very anxious about the size of the venue. I was worried that people would come, you know, the Linux voice guys, for example, traveled a fair distance to come and do the show. And, you know, Dave came down from Birmingham, um, as did Stuart as well. And, you know, I was worried they were going to walk into that room and go, what, we came all this way for this? Because it was a room that seated like maybe 50 people at a push. Um, I think about 45, 50 people came, something like that which is very, very small. But then, as it turned out on the night, it was absolutely perfect. It felt perfect. It was full, but it wasn't horribly full. Um, and the atmosphere was great. And it, it, I think it was basically the perfect size venue. Yeah, I would, I would second that. So, as you say, we got, I think it was, yeah, 50, 60 chairs. They were fairly tight. But as you looked around, there was always people stood at the back or sort of stood at the sides and things, you know, sort of, and someone else would come down the stairs and, and sort of try and pop their head and what have you. So it was pretty much at capacity. 
like you say, without being like on a sardine in a tube. And had it been any bigger, you might start to feel like it was a bit spread. And this is, this is the thing I realised looking at the various venues we did, and you know, other places I've I've been for live bands and and like comedies and things like this, is that you can't just take somewhere and say, right, I want somewhere twenty percent bigger because that place does not exist. You either get three times as big or half as big or there's no bar or there's no stage. It had a little stage that fitted all four people when that's how many people were on the show. It had a very short throw projector so you could put a, a backdrop on. Clearly the sort of audio setup, I think, I think. well, we can get onto the Zoom and all that kind of stuff later, but it, it seems to accommodate all the things we wanted to do. But if you'd found somewhere that was fractionally bigger, which basically doesn't exist, you would maybe would have sacrificed one of those other things or it would have been hot or noisy or next to a nightclub or you know something or other so actually the vibe of the pub was perfect the the sort of accessories and all the little bits and mobs they had was great it was really close to king's cross and pancras which is a vital you know sort of transport hub so you say all those people come down you did miss out paddy on that list who came down from um uh mordor yeah all the way out there and and so, yeah, I think the size was spot on. Had I come from Birmingham, I maybe would have thought, oh, I have come a long way for quite a small thing. But, you know, from small acorns, big trees and all these sorts of things. Yeah, well, one thing that I wonder, and I will never, ever know, well, unless we do another one, but that is if I had booked a bigger venue and released more tickets and promoted it more heavily, maybe we would have filled that. And so, so that's what I'm wondering about for next time. I mean, I've got a lot of questions for next time, and we should probably wait till the end, but uh, there's no rules on this show. So ne- w- next time, I definitely want to do it again. So the question is, when are we going to do it again? Is it going to be next August? Are we just going to wait a full year? Or are we going to do it, you know, next year, but sort of early next year with the possibility of maybe doing it every six months? See, I thought about this and whether or not you'd clash with what will be, hopefully, fingers crossed, the 2017 Og Camp. <laughs> yeah, which is definitely going to happen. <laughs> okay. So I know that the 2016 one was pretty damn tight. I I know the, the problem with the Og Camp organising is that the key people, like sort of three or four people who had seen it all the way through and built it up. And that's that's where I see the problem is that Ogcamp went from something that was small and got bigger and bigger and bigger. And when you follow that trajectory, you understand what it is to go from small to big. And so big isn't as daunting. But when it's like, okay, we're going to hand the reins over now and you need to organise... I mean, imagine if I'd said, right, Joe, how are we going to organise radios for this event? It's like, we're not that big. We can just walk upstairs. It's fine. Yeah, but at some point you would, you know, if... If you imagine Old Camp, it must have got to a point where you go, right, we need a radio system and we need to have our own Wi-Fi and we need to make sure that these people have um, their own access to, to you know, water and, and electricity for the, for the show they're doing or whatever track they're on. The complexity is so much bigger than what we had, which was one room and, you know, you were fully in control of everything in that room at every point to the point of not leaving to go for a beer in case anyone came in and took your stuff. So yeah. you know, it, it was it was that level of control. And so this is what I think is the problem with Old Camp is that it's very difficult to hand over all that knowledge and the things they've gone through to get to the point of, of why they run it in that way. 
And so for people to take it on at the size it is, I just think it's a, a problem. Now, I'm then torn as to whether or not you try and grow Fostalk to be a second Og Camp or you keep it very much in the format it is. And, well, I, I would suggest do a second one in the format it is and maybe try and work out a way of making it slightly bigger but but keep it kind of similar. As 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 a second show, as as a first, you know, get two under your belt sort of thing and see where it goes. Well, yeah, I mean that is a very good question. Do we try and grow it, or do we keep it simple? And uh, it all depends on Odd Camp, really. And you can't talk about Fostalk Live without talking about Odd Camp. And I mean, yeah, you alluded to it there that the key people are just don't have time to do it this year, and as a result, all the enthusiasm that was around. Um, yeah, it was Halloween, wasn't it, last year? There was a lot of enthusiasm with us and the Ubuntu podcast. We were going to go for it. We were going to try and do it down south. And we had venues lined up. And then Christmas happened. And then just no one was really interested. And we could have had Liverpool John Moores for free, although that turned out that we would have subsequently not had that. So it's a good job we didn't um, do it because Liverpool John Moores is like moving or something. Or I can't remember the, the exact details of it. But... Um, I was kind of tempted. I was torn. Do I take on the mantle of organizing Odd Camp, this huge task? And, you know, the, there was a, an email. I mean, we've been on the mailing list for people who don't know. There's an it's sort of organizer's mailing list. And there was talk on that early on. And then that went quiet. And then people started piping up saying, well, if we're going to do this, we really need to do it. And the old organizers, um, Les and Dan, we're basically saying, you know, we've got this amount of money left. If someone wants to do it, you know, you speak now or forever hold your peace. And it was just silent. No one would break the silence because the problem is everyone was in the same position. I'd love to help out, but I don't want to take responsibility for it. And you and I were in that position, weren't we? I was willing to help out where I could, but I don't want to take responsibility for something that big. Yeah, and I'm sure there was a clever way in which the guys who originally did Odd Camp split up those responsibilities. So maybe one person was in charge of all of the attendees uh, and then making sure they knew what they were doing. One person was in charge of the venue, uh, someone else, you know, however it was broken down. But like you say, to say who's going to be the, the head of this is a big mantle, a big responsibility. And without some sort of, you know... I know that there are ways of doing stuff collaboratively without getting face to face. You know, we do our Linux Luddite show not face to face. We seem to be doing it very well, I think. Uh, but sometimes it's just so good to get around a table and thrash something out. And when people, you know, that progress is made a lot more quickly that way. And so when people can't do that, and you've got like one email, maybe a couple of days later another email, and someone else might chirp, it's just not so easy to organize it's it's a sad i mean i know you and i share the same feeling like it's sad that it hasn't happened but we can see why it hasn't happened and what potentially means it won't happen in 2017 possibly well yeah there is a lot of enthusiasm right now for okay we've accepted it's not happening in 2016 but it's definitely going to happen in 2017 but i can't help but feel that we'll get to that same position where it is just too difficult to organize what is essentially a three-day event. Because you've got the Saturday and Sunday with the talks and everything, and the Saturday night party and a Sunday night after party, but you've also got the Friday night 
kind of pre-party as well. And it's funny that organizing Fostalk Live, I thought would be really easy. I thought, well, let's start with the simplest possible thing, four podcasts in a pub basement, that, and the pub's free, there's no money involved. But it was surprisingly difficult to do. I went up there with you once to scout it out in the first place. And then I also went there to check out all the equipment and do sound checks and, you know, get to grips with everything. So there's two visits plus the actual event itself. And that was for one evening. We were in that place for, I don't know, seven or eight hours tops. And that was a surprising amount of work. So that has made me extra daunted for trying to do something like Old Camp. <laughs> Basically, I really don't fancy it. And even then, you haven't taken into consideration, like you said, it's free, the cost of everything. Now, it's one thing to say uh, getting a sponsor on board, which is a challenge in itself. And how many places do you go to and ask for? Is the venue free? If not, you have to make sure that the ticket sales will pay for that. And, you know, the, 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 the worries that you had about how big a venue do you get before you'd even put the tickets online. And once those free tickets had gone, are those people going to turn up because they're free? The room will have this many people because there are that many podcasters anyway, plus the people with the tickets. And and umming and ahhing about whether or not it was too small or too big was a a massive load on your mind, I, I could see it and know from conversations. But just imagine that multiplied by financially, this might not work and someone will be out of pocket. Who's that someone going to be? You know, and you can't plan it until you've sold the tickets and you can't sell the tickets until you've got a venue and people who are coming and things that, you know, it's a real, it just amplifies the complexity. Yeah, I mean, that's the good thing about doing Foss Talk Live. There was no financial risk apart from the t-shirts, which I, um, yeah, I ordered. I I asked people to basically pre-order them and then eventually sold them all, which meant that it worked out. Although I am, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that nobody stole them. That was a terrible sentence. I think there is a very slight possibility that some people helped themselves to t-shirts when I wasn't looking. I, I'm not saying that they stole them. I'm saying probably I didn't make it clear that you had to buy them. <laughs> Possibly, <laughs> I think I said that we've got t-shirts as modelled by me, and then forgot to say they're ten quid, basically. Well, I mean, this this brings it back to some of the sort of points that I wanted to ask you about. And, and maybe um, I have one critique of the evening now that it's happened and I can look back uh, and I'll ask you about yours as well. But you, you talked about you didn't make it clear at the start, yada, yada. And I kind of thought that the one thing that maybe would have been better at version two is a sort of a 10 minute intro uh, just before the first act. So when, for those who... Uh, uh, aren't familiar or clear. Um, Linux Lights was on first, then it was the Ubuntu podcast, then Linux Voice, and then, like I said, there's Mashup. Oh, you said that at the start, didn't you? Anyway, we're reiterating it. So we were on first, and I knew we were on a, what was it, 6 o'clock? 6.15. So, exactly. I knew that I was on at 6.15, I guess. And I was looking at my watch thinking, okay, it's, you know, 10 past 6. I was downstairs, stood not taking up a chair, making sure that everyone could sit down, but stood sort of at the back, just sort of waiting around, thinking, okay, when are we on? And, okay, well, it's eight minutes, you know, 10 minutes past, 12 minutes past. I guess I need to sort of go and sit up there because otherwise I won't be there in time and Joe will get mad at me of not being on time. So I just sort of wandered up and sat down thinking, well, I, 
I guess this is this is where we start. And then, lo and behold, quarter past, you know, Paddy sat down and off we go. Now, perhaps we should have had some sort of hello and welcome. And, and despite the fact you put up the posters, you know, it's always good to say, this is what's going to come up. Maybe there's some housekeeping to be done, whether it be the T-shirts are available, whether it be fire exits, the fact that it's being recorded, the fact that, you know, the, the pub is open till then and, and all these sorts of things. Maybe... Maybe I missed that or I've forgotten about it, but I, I that that should be a, a sort of a preliminary requisite. Well, I did do a little bit of an intro, but yeah, I probably could have done a better job of that intro. I wasn't really thinking too much about it. So yeah, that is a valid criticism and I will try and remember that or you've got to remind me for next time. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So, and I just... I know that there was, well, I mentioned the Zoom previously and I wanted to get onto the audio because that's obviously the only way in which anyone who wasn't there live will have heard any of it. Um, on our show, I know the Ubuntu podcast has put theirs out. I'm guessing by the time this goes out, maybe Linux Voice will have released theirs. Yeah, they've already and- done it. They released it uh, about half an hour ago as we were recording this. Okay, so I don't feel so bad about missing it, uh, missing the information. Uh, and then whether or not the, the mashup gets released. That has been know, released as well. Well, there we go. We're all, we're all done. <laughs> yeah. So all four are out now. Yeah. So all four are out. So that and and the point is that without the recording, no one will have heard it. Which is one of the criticisms of OGCamp is that people said, "Well, why isn't everything recorded? Why can't I go online to watch the various, you know, at least the main stage or what have you?" And I touched on the Zoom earlier. Can you just explain what the Zoom is and why you had to buy a Zoom for this particular event? Well, I didn't buy it just for this event. I've got some plans for other things that I want to do. And so that's why um, it was bought, basically. So all it is, is a digital recorder that records to SD card with eight inputs. And they are either XLR mic inputs or quarter inch jack. It's the combi input, basically. And so what I did was I plugged all the microphones and the music into that, and then just piped the stereo out of that into the house mixing desk basically. And so everything was mixed on this recorder and also recorded all night. So I just pressed record at the beginning of the night and then just recorded uh, whatever it was, five hours worth, and then had these massive WAVs to uh, to then chop up and send to the various podcasters. So it's a very simple thing, really, the Zoom R16. It's what Dan bought, Dan Lynch bought to record the, the album, the 20 Pound Sounds album. And it's a very, very good recorder. I'm very, very happy with it. It is expensive, but I think it's worth it. And it's hopefully, touch wood, the kind of thing that will last many, many years and will give give me, you know, a lot of recordings. Because I'd thought about how I was going to record it and I'd kind of thought of some ugly hacks. And in the end, it just dawned on me, look, I need to buy this recorder. And so I just had had to buy it, basically. So... Just run us through how many microphones there were as well, because they just seem to be coming out of left, right, and center. Yeah, well, I only actually took one of my own microphones. Um, the venue had, I think, five. So there were four main mics on the stage, plus one roaming mic to give to the crowd that wasn't wireless, but it had a long cable. And I think that um, added amusement to the. <laughs> the whole thing yeah i think yeah getting a wireless mic would be nice for the next time but i don't know how we're gonna pay for that and uh, another mic as well to record the ukulele for um mark who played the ubuntu podcast theme on the ukulele 
<laughs> yes, words, words and all that no one knew existed. Uh, yeah, and I, as I said to him, the ukulele really is the last refuge of the talentless musician. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I hate ukulele. Yeah, as someone who's been a musician all my life, I cannot stand them. They're just so rubbish. Ukulele, but, ukulele or banjo, which is worse? Ah, uh, banjo is very difficult to play and it can sound amazing if you're good at it. Whereas the uke, is, it's very easy to play badly, basically. And it's you get these, I don't know, people who can't really be bothered to learn a proper instrument so they learn ukulele and maybe i'm just being a real snob about it but learn guitar or something honestly uh, and there was another microphone recording the crowd oh yeah i didn't use that in the end so the the other zoom recorder which i talked about on the very first episode of the joe rest podcast um, the h4n that i used to record the crowd but in the end didn't need it really uh, I was struggling to sync it up with the other audio. And then it turned out that because it was such a tiny room, the main microphones picked up the crowd pretty well. And uh, so that that just worked out nicely in the end. Do you think you could answer a question trying to put like a punter's hat on? Uh, I can try. Okay. So if you'd gone to that show, how much would you have paid for a ticket? A million pounds. No, I don't know. Um Fiverr, maybe. I'm thinking Fiverr. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been disappointed with a Fiverr. Thinking, you know, no money is throwaway money, but Fiverr's not going to like break the bank. You know, if someone had said twenty quid, I'd have been thinking well, that's a bit bloody steep for this tiny little room, sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah, I think a Fiverr as well. And I wonder whether putting a Fiverr on the, you know, if if you had exactly the same setup next time, and could sort of say everyone who had it, you know, everyone came last time, you know what to expect. It'll be a fiver this time. I don't know what you'd necessarily get for that fiver because you could do it free last time, maybe a bigger room. But do you think by do you think by putting uh, money on the on the tickets that you could then confirm those people as definites? You know, you 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 wouldn't have this. Oh, are people gonna are people just not gonna come, or are people just sort of picked one up and and forgotten about it? Whatever. It's a real tricky one. That I think that you're right. If people pay, they are far more likely to come definitely because they're not going to get to the day and think oh, no, i'm a bit too hungover i won't bother if they've paid even a nominal fee even if it was only three quid they'd still feel like oh, i don't want to throw that three quid away even though ultimately they're going to end up spending way more by going out and buying drinks and everything yeah yeah so i i think that in the one sense you're right but also i can't help but feel that the kind of crowd who came to that are just used to things being free you know, Odd Camp's always been free. Linux is free, generally speaking. It, we just have that culture of things being free, as in beer as well as freedom. I, was, I mean, I, I know you said that Odd Camp is, is free, but I, mean, I paid for my ticket. I d- donated, let's say, for my ticket. And I do you have any idea from Fab or anyone as to the proportion of people who made some sort of donation? Because I would have thought it would be quite high, given that, you know, most people know that these things aren't, aren't free you know you do have to pay for everything and the people put a lot of effort in all this kind of stuff do you, do you have any idea what proportion of people paid for old camp, old camp tickets i don't actually and that's something that i should know i should ask mark i think he's the one to ask about it because he's had more involvement with that side of things so i will ask him and, and see i don't i don't think it's many i think that there are some very generous people and indeed i, I should thank there's a reasonable chance that people who came to it might listen to this so I want to thank everyone who donated. There was the bucket, the over-optimistic 
giant bucket. <laughs> it was a, a builder's bucket for donations. I thought maybe like a a pint glass would be the right size, but no, we've got a full-on black builder's bucket. Yeah, yeah. And it occurred to me actually that maybe some of the notes in there were people who put ten quid in the bucket and took a t-shirt, not understanding that. I had personally laid out the money for the t-shirts and it was to come to me. So maybe that would explain my... I, I don't even know if it, the figures don't add up because I was too drunk, basically, to know whether or not I sold all the t-shirts. But yeah, anyway, people put a lot of money in that bucket, uh, basically. It worked out that um, the podcast has all got a fiver each, which isn't much, but there were quite a lot of us, to be fair. And... Um, at least it was something. So it was very much appreciated by everyone who uh, donated to the bucket. Yeah, I. if we're doing a quick shout-outs, I also have to thank uh, the people who bought... I remember, well, who bought me a pint, basically, because the just before the show, Paddy and I nipped out to get some food, and I bought him a drink. And then when I bought my food, it came with a free beer, you know, free in the air quotes as in... You've already paid for it for the burger, but that, you know what I mean. So I came back out with my beer and my food and was like, sorry, but, you know, it came free. I'm not going to say no. So he sort of owed me a pint, basically. So we went back to the venue and he said, right, when there's a break, I'll buy you a pint. It must have been the fourth round or the fifth round that we'd got where he was at the bar waiting to buy me a drink and someone came up and said, oh, guys, really like the show. You know, been listening for ages. Let me buy you both a beer. And who would say no? You'd be an idiot. But it kept, it kept on postponing and postponing Paddy's drink because that he was trying to buy me to even even the balance. Um, so it was really very generous of everyone, and you know had great chats with all the people and 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 enjoyed that sort of that sort of social side, like you say. Um, so there, there were only like sort of fifteen minute breaks in between, and perhaps a a longer middle break if we're sort of looking at changes to be made a longer middle break would have benefited but i know that the venue kind of limited what we could do i mean we started at quarter past six or sort of you know first mics on at six start at quarter past six because the venue only opened at five like what kind of a pub does that on a saturday but anyway so they only opened at five we'd start at six and we obviously had to be out by 11 as well so we we're actually quite tight on the time because the pub was fairly limited when it was open so we didn't get many options for that, but I'd say it'd be nice if there was a, a slightly bigger break in the middle for people to grab some food or, or whatever it might be. Well, there were half an hour breaks, not 15 minutes. That It might have felt like 15 minutes because it was such a great night, but it was actually half an hour. But yeah, maybe a specific this is the dinner break would make sense because people will only add half an hour to order it, wait for it to come, stuff it down before the next show. So maybe it would make sense to do just a 15 minute break between the first two and a 15 minute break between the third and fourth and a longer break in the middle of 45 minutes to an hour maybe yeah yeah do you, also like do you think that four podcasts is the right format for the show was it i mean the fourth one wasn't such a podcast it was uh more shouting at the audience but like do you think that the that that's what people want to come and see or, or should there be some other thing in there that's a very good question i don't know i mean i had thought about asking sam aaron to perform you probably don't know who that is he is the what's the word for it developer i suppose uh, of sonic pi have you ever played with sonic pi on the raspberry pi 
No. No, I've definitely heard about it, but no. Yeah, it's it, basically you code music. Um, and you you can start by making just sort of bleeps and bloops. But he who created it, he has mastered it, and he creates full-on DJ sets with it. So it would be really cool to have him performing, I think, and kind of break it up with a bit of music, maybe. Um, because I I knew that the three podcasts would be fairly solid and would know what they were doing and would attract an audience. And the fourth one, I, I knew that it would be fun, basically. But yeah, I think maybe varying it up in terms of what's actually happening there, maybe have a bit of music and stuff might might work quite well. Although, I don't know, maybe just it being pure podcasts, I don't know, I'm torn. I'm torn on that one, really. That's It's certainly something to think about. It would work, perhaps, if the venue and the bar was one room, like if you picked like a much, you know, a big open room, but the, a bar or whatever it might be, because then at least I feel that when the podcast finished, everyone felt like they would leave the room and get their next pint. And if a guy came on to play his guitar, you might just think it's sort of, would you necessarily come back down to listen? If so, I mean, like it, it would, if he was just in the room anyway, people would turn to listen because it was a, you know, a good act, what have you. Or, or is that not fair? Because I think I think where I am is that I've gone to go and watch these podcasts and there's like, dare I say, an intermission music number that I wouldn't necessarily be that keen to listen to. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And the thing is also, in terms of complexity, it's very easy to just set up four or five microphones and just record them. And it, it applies to every show, doesn't it? You, there's nothing massively different apart from the ukulele. Whereas if you start complicating it with bands or even just one person and a guitar, or God forbid, a ukulele, then it <laughs> then it gets a bit more complicated, I think. And you have to sort of start adjusting levels, and you have to, you know, there's more to it. So I don't know. I, I need to think more more carefully about that really i think if it's going to be more frequent than annual then it can't just be the same thing every six months or every i mean i would love to do that every month but just the fact is we can't do that it's not going to draw an audience every month that what makes it special is the fact that it's infrequent yeah well it's it's currently unique yeah i wanted to touch on on maybe a bit of a delicate subject and it was joked about in the Linux Voice podcast, uh, and they were, you know, a little bit tipsy. There's been sort of mumblings about the the feasibility of Linux Voice, and they sort of mentioned some, you know, they do the classic if you want to subscribe. And uh, I think Andrew sort of said, "Well, you still can." And it was a bit sort of, oh, it was a bit awkward. But if if the Linux Voice podcast or Linux Voice is unable to continue until the next year when let's say the next FOSS talk live happens would you have any idea as to who the substitute third podcast might be you know keeping that format the same i think that they will continue to do a podcast regardless of what happens and i, I have a fair idea of what is going to happen because i was talking to uh, andrew about it but i i don't really feel it's my place to talk about it here but i think that regardless of what happens it's fairly likely that they will continue to do a podcast because they like doing it. So, and, and even if they, 
aren't doing it, maybe they could come and do a one-off or something. So I, I don't know about that. I, I don't know. But as for other acts, as it were, other podcasts, I don't know really. The thing about this event was that we're all talking about Linux. And so it was basically most of the podcasters in the UK who talk about Linux, I think. Unless Yes, but this is where you've awkwardly forgotten someone. <laughs> current podcasts that are happening now. Who have I forgotten? Uh, I, I can't think of one either, but I'm sure there's, uh, you know, a new upcoming UK-based Linux podcast that is is gutted that they aren't known about. But I agree, of the ones that are UK-based, they're the... They're the three obvious ones. It's not like you had four and you had to drop one. It was just, let's invite the three plus a random act. I mean, it's it's the fact that um, Stuart Langridge doesn't do a podcast with other people in the UK that meant that he was on his own, basically. Yeah, and Dave does Geek News Radio, which isn't really about Linux anyway. That's about gaming on Windows most of the time. Um, and Fab is in Germany, who the fellow he does that with. So yeah, that that is a potential limiting factor actually. That if the Ubuntu podcast decided to knock it on the head, or if Luddites knocked it on the head, then we just wouldn't really have many acts for this thing, would we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, is there? Because I mean, you and I both listen to other podcasts as well of other topics. I mean, do you listen to any UK like technology or sort of gadget podcasts? Not anymore. I used to listen to the CNET UK podcast, but no, I don't. I can't think of one that I currently listen to. No, no, same here. Um, there's a bunch of sort of yank ones that uh, that you, you I listen to about about tech or Android, or whatever. You, but nothing kind of kind of uh, tech wise from the UK. No, and the thing is that the event would be so small that you can't really justify bringing people over because people are not going to pay for flights and stuff all the way from america or whatever so oh yeah god no yeah yeah so we are basically stuck with keeping it small Mm, i don't know we'll we'll have to see on that one maybe someone will give us suggestions because i think we should briefly talk about this on luddites and uh thank people and everything and and basically i want to put it out there i mean no one listens to this show hardly apart from you dear listener but um i want to put it out on luddites like if when should we do it again basically and if the consensus is in a year's time then that's when it'll happen whereas if people say that you know it could be twice a year then maybe we'll do it because it's not massively hard to do if we did it in the same venue then i now know how to set it up and it would be much more straightforward this time to do it so i i would be keen to do it all the time but it's just a case of are people going to come all the time well no so if if they're only willing to do it once a year, then that's what it's going to end up. Yeah, you've got to have a think about what kind of cadence can you get away with that people will find it interesting enough to turn up. But I think it would be fascinating to know, and it's annoying that you we can't get this information as to where people came from to to you know to attend. If if everyone was just from within the N25, then that tells you sort of how far people are willing to come from. But I know, um, I recognise a couple of phases that there's a guy from coming up from Kent uh, and someone sort of reading kind of Basingstoke kind of way. But I, I had no way of telling if people had heard about it and gone, oh, I'm in Bath, that's in London, I'm not going all that way. And if I'm honest, I think if I lived in Bath, 
I wouldn't have come all that way. But if I was in London, I certainly you know would have been keen and excited to go. So yeah, it's whether or not you could get us a bigger venue and sort of build on. I know you can't have momentum over a year, but at least build on the fact that you've done one before mm. and and be more confident of getting people into a, a slightly bigger venue. Well, I did get someone email me from Sheffield saying that we should do it up there so he can come to it. Um, so that gives you an idea that people weren't willing to travel that far, or at least one, <laughs> one person wasn't, which is yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of questions that I'd like to ask people, but um, well, um, that sort of brings me to two negative things um, about it. The, the first one was I was very anxious. I don't like using the word paranoid because it was with good reason that I had anxiety about the equipment downstairs. Um, I had my Chromebook there. I had a very expensive recorder. I had my other recorder set up. I had the T-shirts and everything and mics and, and all that. And so I didn't want to leave the room unattended. So I spent the entire time almost downstairs, which meant that the time between the shows when I was kind of helping with the setup and everything, I didn't do any socializing. I didn't actually get many pints bought for me until the end, actually. Funnily enough, I bought my own pints mostly. Well, certainly early on. That's because I wasn't up there. And so I missed out on the whole point of it, really, which is the, the social aspect. Um, so that was a bit of a negative. And the other negative was um, a certain person who shall not be named. I can't even remember his name, to be honest, who was very vocal on the first recording Linux Luddites, um, he, he was very keen to share his opinions and he seemed to be quite coherent and he just got wasted basically throughout the night. And, um, then at the very end, well, in the last show, the drunken mashup show, he was just shouting out off mic all the time. And I had to shout at him and tell him to shut up. He was, he was running around chasing the mic. Yeah. I, I, I watched him is like, okay, your point hasn't been made because the mic's gone to the other side of the room. So he just ran to the other side of the room to be near the mic. It was, it was a bit desperate. It was very desperate. And then afterwards, he just wouldn't leave us alone and he was just drunk. And I tried to ask him nicely to leave and he wouldn't. And so then I tried to use my bulk to, uh, you know, not so subtly tell him to go away. And that didn't work. So in the end, I just had to ignore him, basically. And um, yeah, there was a bit of confusion in my mind because we got kicked out of the venue as soon as the last show finished. And so I had to quickly tidy it all up and Glenn helped me with that. And we kind of wrapped up all the cables um, and Dirk as well. And then, um, so I then stumbled out to the next place that you found, which was the Water Rats, which is a, a rubbish toilet venue, as we call it. With, with terrible, terrible promoters. But anyway, after the bands have finished, it's open until, well, I thought it was 12 o'clock. Uh, it turned out to be one o'clock, but no one got kicked out until like half one. So I get over there at like quarter to 12. I thought the bar was closed and I thought, hmm, we're going to have a situation here where everyone gets kicked out and then we're just kind of standing around trying to think of somewhere else to go. And we're just inevitably going to just stand around in the street. So I thought, hmm, I'm going to go up there to the offy, the off-license liquor store, as Americans say, to get some cider just as a backup, just in case we do, that happens. Um, expecting everyone to kind of be being shepherded out by the time I got back. 
and um, I was really thirsty, so I drank one and sort of didn't think on. And then so the bouncer saw me drinking that, so I knew I wouldn't be able to get back in. And so I was basically stuck outside with this strange, strange man who wouldn't leave me alone. I wondered why you were on the other side of the barrier. Yeah. I mean, my, you know, I did, I was I was very good at not drinking too much before the show, you know, strict orders from Joe. And then afterwards I just let it go. And I, I did get a little bit tipsy. I got hammered. And, so and I, I, I have a particular picture of Paddy and I on one side of one of those little like sort of red cordons that you get on the outside, like a smoking venue yeah. outside a bar. And then you on the other side, like having a little bit of a, a disagreement with this chap. And I was like, I couldn't just, I just couldn't think why you're on the other side. And this, this has explained it all. Yeah, because what I should have done was go inside. But because the bouncer had seen me drinking and I had a bag full of cider, there's no way that would have worked <laughs> yeah, of out. of course. Because I thought that everyone was getting kicked out. And so I thought, well, you know, I'll just drink this one. Then they'll come out and then that'll be stashed in my bag. And then we can either go somewhere else or just stand around outside confused as to what we're going to do. Um and but then you lot were in there for like another hour and a half while I had to deal with this, you know, not so sane person. But I did get yeah. talking to this delightful Norwegian girl who was uh, here on a holiday, and she was um, a social worker looking after like really disadvantaged people. So it was, that was quite heartwarming to see that there's someone who doesn't just value money over everything. She was really nice, so that that was cool. And I was talking to her to try and um, get rid of the psycho man basically um it was quite ironic really that she deals with disturbed people and stuff <laughs> and, helps them and you out. had one you had one to uh to show her yeah it, i it, it's a bit of a sad that you you know we, we're gonna have to draw this at some point but it's a bit sad that we've you've had to explain this now because it does paint a picture that you're unfortunately like you say missing out on the on the social aspect both during the evening and at the pub afterwards, yeah. and, and that's that's a, that's a, a double whammy. I'm you know I'm glad to hear it because that's that's you know quite a you know a, a, like a quite a large part of of why we have these things and why people go to Old Camp and and you know Ozcon and all these kinds of things. So so that's that's sad to hear, and I can't obviously the the pub side of it we can organise better, but the actual recording side of it, if you're bringing your own equipment that won't change. Yeah, I don't know, really. I think that we need um, shifts or something next time. Someone needs to be downstairs at all times. And uh, so either we need volunteers who we can trust so that I can go and socialise. But then I wouldn't feel right, really. Like, I felt like the, you know, my place was in the corner by the sound desk and Popey helped out while we were doing our show um, and you helped out a little bit before the... um, the, the drunken mashup but otherwise like my place was in that corner basically djing my creative commons sort of trancey music and um looking after things so I, I don't think necessarily that there's um a solution to that except for people to hang out a bit more downstairs maybe with me come and keep me company while i'm looking after stuff see this would be solved if it was a pub venue like like a pub is not a good example because you'd have to have the whole pub to yourself because who the hell wants to sit in a pub when there's massive nerds in one corner yeah but like if you had a like a a town hall let's say where one end is the stage and the other end is the you know the 
buy your can of beer here type thing at least then everyone will be in the same room and it, you just you'll just go you just have like this ebb from one end of the stage would flow to the other end and then you know backwards and forwards so yeah but the problem with it, having it in one room and this was illustrated to me last night when i went to to see the Knievel dead play a band who a couple of friends are in and um they were playing and there was people talking it was that same situation at quite a large room a long thin room basically where one end you've got the bar and the other end you've got the stage and there's people talking really loud during the quiet bits and that's bad enough with music but it'd be even worse trying to do a podcast i think it's nice to have an isolated room and another totally different area where people can do the social stuff yeah that's that's a good point i mean the people who didn't come downstairs because they were engaged in conversation could stay upstairs having that conversation and then go downstairs when they wanted to and, like I say, not interrupt and, and subtly sit down. So I see what you mean. You, you can you, you get the best of both worlds when you're when you're splitting them up. A, a locked door then? A bouncer? These are the only other solutions. Or maybe the podcast that is on next has to stay there for the interim, ready for their show. Or, I mean, because like the Ubuntu podcast, they set up by putting plates of biscuits out and stuff you know it was, it was a bizarre little world they're in <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> so uh, they laminated show notes yeah yeah the laminated show notes and biscuits and ukuleles yeah i see i don't know whether to um to try and do it next year in a slightly bigger place or whether to try and do it with more frequency in that tiny place because then you, you might get not the same people turning up every time because you know it gives people more of a chance to come if it's more frequent no i think you'd have the same kind of listener base i mean because you get people that are in london and listen to us or linux voice or the ubuntu podcast like podcasts that have promoted themselves going to do something and so you're not going to get different people i don't think i think you're going to end up with sort of okay maybe some people couldn't make it but that wouldn't be that's not like huge numbers of people. Potentially, the way to get, you know, more people in and therefore sort of listening to our podcasts as a group sort of and, and get new ears is to sort of look out to lugs or sort of Linux meetup groups or like Raspberry Pi. You know, I know we talked about it earlier and it's not so fast, but, you know, sort of maybe try and work out groups that are involved with the sort of stuff that we're interested in but they have no idea about podcasts because the only people that will have come to that show will be the podcast Linux community, not the Linux community. Yeah, and the thing is that it's a very different experience, isn't it? Sitting on your own on a train or in the car listening to a podcast is one thing, but going and seeing a live show, even if that's being recorded and will be put out, it is. I think it's got broader appeal than um, than just podcast listening. So yeah, I, I do feel that I could have promoted it in you know better more widely but i didn't need to because i knew it was a a tiny room and i just put those tickets on sale way way well i say on sale available for free months and months beforehand promoted them on the various shows that were going to take part and they just all went within three weeks or i think two weeks maybe and so that that makes me think that if we booked somewhere bigger you'd get that number of tickets reserved in that period. And then I could go and hit, you know, hit up websites, um, mailing lists, you know, go on Jupiter Broadcasting shows, you know, Linux Unplugged and promote it there. I'm sure Chris would be fine with that and really spread the word and try and get the maximum number of people there. 
um, you know, make a real big effort with it. But I just don't need to do that. The easy, safe option is a nice free venue in King's Cross. All the good things we've said about it, and and just the same people coming every time. But um, if if I was going to be doing it on a regular basis, or we were going to be doing it on a regular basis, I think we would have to, as you say, reach out further. Yeah, I'd also be interested to know what um, the, the Linux voice guys would say about coming again. Because are we saying that they've come the furthest? Or was it some of the guys from the Ubuntu podcast? Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure where everyone. Okay, okay lives. well, well, let's 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 just let's just say, ask the people who were, you know, doing shows, would they come that far again for that venue, and and redo it? Now, I've no doubt that most of them would want to come again just because it was good fun, you know, and it was a weekend out, and it was good to meet everyone, and you know meet old friends and find new ones, all these sorts of things. But potentially if they are trying to uh, get to a wider audience or do it without getting um, shortchanged, you know, paying for their train fare or something, then it might not be something they would venture again without some sort of bigger venue, some sort of viable profit-making method, mm. if, you see, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I think I need to email them. I need to first of all, I need to sort out the website because it's still like for a, a upcoming event. I need to change it and be a kind of retrospective and link to the shows that have been put out and everything, and to say thanks to everyone and, and all that kind of stuff. But once I've done that, then yeah, I think I need to email everyone again and say thanks for coming. Do you want to do it again? And if so, when? Do, what do you think? Do you think next year, or do you think? Uh, you know, well, this time next year, or do you think more frequent? Yeah, and like the Linux voice guys have done live shows at OggCamp, and they might say the recording we got from you was better or inferior, or we preferred having a much bigger audience or a roaming, you know. They, and also, of course, the Ubuntu podcast will have feedback like I did about maybe having an intro or a longer middle segment or whatever it might be. Uh, and so, yeah, it should be good to to hear back from them and, and sort of gather that info. What I did find funny was that having done our show and having a couple of pints in me and then the next show came on and I, uh, I managed to wiggle my way down to the front and someone was saying something, you know, they're chatting away and it it was really difficult not to want to sort of jump up and grab a mic and make my point heard because I'd been in that position not like 20 minutes before and I could say anything I wanted to say in response to anyone from the audience or you guys. And it was really weird to have to sort of go back to being a passive listener like you are on the train or the tube when you're normally listening to it, you know, how you normally listen to podcasts and stuff. So that was a really a really kind of weird experience for me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I during Linux Voice, I had the a mic and it was I was chipping in a little bit, and I probably a little bit too much to be honest. But it's very tempting to do that. We we have been uh, been rambling on, and I just wanted the final thing I wanted to ask was what was the the one favourite thing or residing memory from the evening that that you'll take away? It's very simple. It was sitting down on the kind of step up towards the uh, uh, the mixing desk thing in the corner. Uh, so I was standing there most of the night, but sitting down and just watching Linux Voice and being so amused at their 
effectively comedy show that they did with all the Brexit <laughs> stuff. And I just had a beaming smile on my face thinking this, it was worth all, everything just to sit here and watch them do this live. Um, and especially with a mic in my hand as well, being able to chip in here and there. So that I think was the highlight for me, just watching watching them do it. It was uh, amazing. Even though there was only three of them on stage, they had a a token fourth member of Mike in the form of uh, a pint. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 even he, you know, contributed in in the way that they played him. So yeah, ab- absolutely, a, a very good uh, stage presence by the three of them. Yeah, definitely. So uh, yeah, I suppose we better wrap it up there. We've been rabbiting on for far, far too long. But um, yeah, if you want to get in contact and have any thoughts on it, um, then podcast at joeres.com. Um, or you can leave a comment on, on the website under this show. I would be very interested to hear if you live miles away, um, would you be willing to come, that kind of thing. Um, and as for doing it in other cities, I don't know, man. I really don't know about that. If someone organized everything and I just turned up with the recorder um, and did it, then I might be up for doing it in, in a northern city or something. Um, but it's it's very hard to organize it um and london it's just nice i did end up having to get the night bus which sucked but at least that didn't take me too long and it only cost me like 150 or something <laughs> so yeah it's it's nice to do it in london um and unless someone else does it, it i think it's staying in london for the foreseeable all right. Well, I've got nothing else to say. I think, I think we've done a, a good job of wrapping up both the Pi podcast, unfortunately, and uh, the takeout from, from Foss Talk Live. So thanks for having me on, Joe. And uh, let's hope it's not quite so long until I'm on again. Yeah, that's the thing. You never know with the Joe Rest podcast. There's only been three this year. Maybe now I'm not doing the Pi podcast anymore. We can pick up and talk about some other topics. But uh, yeah, stay tuned, stay subscribed, and uh, who knows what's going to happen. So until next time then, I'm Joe. I'm Jesse. See you later. (laughs) 